Hi, I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And I'm Father Gregory Pine. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is day 25. Today we'll be reading Part 3, Certain Counsels for the Practice of the Virtues, chapters 24 through 27, pages 278 through 299 in the Ascension edition of this book. Before we get into the reading, let's take a quick look at what we will be covering. Over the last few chapters, St. Francis has continued to lead us in considering how it is that our friendships impact the pursuit of the devout life. We know that friends are essential to our Christian life, that we come to Christ together, and true friendship rooted in Christ is both support and strength as we prepare and continue to take on mortifications and purifications that lead us more deeply into our relationship with Christ. St. Francis is also quick to point out that friendship is a good in itself, that friends are a great joy and comfort, and we shouldn't neglect that reality either. In these coming chapters, St. Francis turns our attention to another important part of our lives, the fact that we live in a society, in and amongst people, some friends and some acquaintances. How we interact with others and carry ourselves in the dynamics of society impact our life of devotion, and also how others may or may not be inspired to come to know Christ. So before we get into our reading, let us say a quick prayer. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to Thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly. For the praise and glory of Thy name. Amen. Chapter 24 On Conversation and Solitude Both to run after and flee from conversation are two blameworthy extremes in the devotion of those who live in the world, which is the subject of our discussion here. He who shuns all conversation likely has disdain and contempt for his neighbors, and he who runs after them likely is slothful and idle. We must love our neighbor as ourselves, and in order to show that we love him, we must not flee his company. But to testify that we love ourselves, we must abide in ourselves when we are by ourselves. Think first of yourself, says St. Bernard, and then of others. Therefore, if nothing presses you to go abroad into company or to receive company at home, stay within yourself and entertain yourself within your own heart. However, if company visits you or any just cause invites you into company, go in God's name, Philothea, and meet your neighbor with glad kindness. Evil conversations are those which are held with some evil intention or when the company is vicious, indiscreet, and dissolute. These we must avoid as much as bees shun a swarm of wasps or hornets. For just as people who have been bitten by mad dogs develop sweat, breath, and even spit that is infectious, especially for children and those of delicate constitution, so too we cannot keep company with vicious and dissolute people without hazard and danger, especially to those whose devotion is as yet but young and tender. 
There are some conversations that are useless for any other purpose than recreation and are held for the sake of diversion from our serious occupations. We must not be overly attached to these, though we may allow them to occupy our leisure time destined for recreation. Other conversations have civility for their subject, such as mutual visits and certain gatherings to show honor to our neighbor. With regard to these, without being overly scrupulous to make them our practice, so too neither must we be altogether uncivil by shunning them. Rather, we may modestly comply with our duty respecting them without being either unrefined or frivolous. There remain profitable conversations such as those had with devout and virtuous people. It will always be of great benefit to you, Philothea, to converse frequently with such people. The vine planted among olive trees bears grapes that are oily and have the taste of olives. So too, the soul that often is in the company of virtuous people cannot help but partake of their qualities. Drone bees alone cannot make honey, but rather make it with the help of the other bees. So too, great benefit is drawn for the exercise of devotion by conversing with devout souls. In all conversations, sincerity, simplicity, meekness, and modesty are always to be preferred. There are people whose comportment and gestures are always so marked by affectation that they weary everyone around them. And just as someone who could never walk without counting his steps, nor speak except by singing, would be troublesome to the rest of mankind, so too they whose deeds are always affected always putting on airs, are very disagreeable in conversation. These sort of people always are guilty of some kind of prideful presumption. Our conversations should ordinarily be predominated by a kind of moderate cheerfulness. Despite their austere lives, St. Rumold and St. Anthony are highly commended for always having both countenances and conversation adorned with cheerfulness, good humor, and courtesy. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And again I say to you with the Apostle, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. In order for you to rejoice in our Lord, the subject of your joy must not only be permitted, but also becoming. I feel the need to say this because there are some things permitted which, however, are not becoming. And in order that your moderation may be known to all men, keep yourself free from insolence, which is always reprehensible. To cause one of the company to fall down, to blacken another's face, to prick or pinch a third, to take advantage of the weak intellect of another, are all rude and insolent jokes and amusements. However, in addition to such mental solitude, which is a ready retreat when you can place yourself there, indeed as we discussed earlier, even amidst the largest companies you must also love real, physical solitude. Obviously, I do not expect you to go into the desert like St. Mary of Egypt, St. Paul, St. Anthony, St. Arsenius, and the other ancient solitaries. Rather, I counsel you to take time alone in your chamber or garden or in some other place where, undisturbed, you may withdraw your spirit into itself and enliven your soul with pious meditations, holy thoughts, or some spiritual reading. Follow the example of the great Bishop of Nazianzus, who, speaking of himself, says, I walked all alone, about sunset, and passed the time upon the seashore, for I am accustomed to use this recreation to refresh myself and to somewhat shake off my ordinary cares. Afterwards, he speaks of the pious reflections he took up, which we already discussed earlier. And likewise, follow the example of St. Ambrose, who St. Augustine tells us would often go into his chamber, for he never denied requests from anyone. 
where Augustine found him reading and remained there only for a brief while for fear of interrupting Ambrose, thus departing again without saying a word, for he thought of how little time remained for this great pastor to gather his spirit after the bustle of the great host of affairs that lay upon his shoulders, and of how this time should not be taken from him. So too, when the apostles one day told our Lord how they had preached and how much they had done, he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. Chapter 25. On Modest Dress. St. Paul spoke of his desire that devout women, and the same may be said for men, should adorn themselves modestly and sensibly in seemly apparel. Now decency in apparel and other ornaments depends on their material, fashion, and cleanliness. As to the cleanliness, it should be almost always perfect in our apparel, which we should strive to keep utterly clean. External cleanliness represents to some degree internal purity. God himself requires bodily purity in those who approach his altars and are principally charged with care for devotion. As regards the material and fashion of our dress, propriety demands on circumstances of time, age, character, company, and occasion. People are ordinarily better dressed on holidays, and this in proportion to the solemnity of the feast being celebrated. At times of penance, as in Lent, their ornaments are laid aside. At weddings, they put on wedding garments. At funerals, they wear the raiment of mourning. When near the prince, they dressed in their best attire, which they take off when they are among those in their own house. The married woman may and ought to adorn herself when she is with her husband, if he desires it. But if she would do so when she was not close by to him, it will be asked, whose eyes does she desire to please by all this care she is taking? Greater liberty in point of ornaments is allowed to maidens, because they may permissibly desire to appear agreeable to many, although with no other intent than to gain the hand of a man through holy marriage. Neither is it judged amiss that widows who intend to marry would wish to adorn themselves to some degree, so long as they are not frivolous, for having themselves already been mistresses of families and having passed through the sorrows of widowhood, they are considered to be more mature and settled in character. However, as for those who are widows indeed, not only in body but in heart as well, no other ornament becomes them but humility, modesty, and devotion. For if they wish to make men fall in love with them, then they are not widows indeed. And if they have no such desire, why then do they carry about on their bodies the instruments of love? The host who no longer wishes to receive guests should pull down the sign from his house. The elderly are always ridiculous when they act in a giddy and gleeful way that is only acceptable for youths. Be neat, Philothea. In no way be slovenly or disheveled. We are guilty of a kind of contempt for those with whom we converse when we come into their company and properly dressed. However, likewise, carefully avoid all affectation, vanity, oddity, or frivolity in your dress. Keep yourself always as much as possible on the side of plainness and modesty, which without a doubt are the greatest ornament of beauty and the best excuse for lack of it. St. Peter admonishes young women in particular not to wear their hair full of curls and ringlets. Men who are so weak as to indulge in such external shows are justly ridiculed for their effeminacy, and vain women are estimated to be weak in chastity. They say that they mean no evil by these things, but I repeat, as I will say again later, that the devil always does. For my part, I would have devout people, whether men or women, be the best clad of the company, but the least pompous and affected. 
I would have them adorned as it is said in Proverbs with grace, propriety, and dignity. St. Louis directly stated that each person should dress in accord with his station in life, so that the wise and the good may have no reason to say that you go too far, nor young people say you do too little. However, when young people do not remain content with what is proper, we must conform to the judgment of the wise. Chapter 26. On Conversation. First of all, how we are to speak about God. As physicians judge a man's health or sickness by looking at his tongue, so too our words are true indications of the quality of our souls. In the words of our Savior, by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. We move our hand readily to the pain that we feel and our tongue to the love we entertain. Therefore, Philothea, if your love for God is great, you will often speak of him in your day-to-day discussions in your house, with your friends, and among your neighbors, for the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. As bees with their little mouths meddle with nothing but honey, so too should your tongue be always sweetened with its God, finding no greater pleasure than in feeling the sweet praises and blessings of his name flowing between your lips, as they say St. Francis used to suck and lick his lips after pronouncing the holy name of the Lord, as though he were drawing from it the greatest sweetness that could be found in all the world. However, always speak about God as is befitting to God, that is, reverently and devoutly, Do not parade about nor preach, but rather speak of him with a spirit of meekness, charity, and humility. As much as you can, like the bride of the Song of Solomon, drip the delicious honey of devotion and of things divine, drop by drop, into the ears of those to whom you speak, praying to God in the secret of your soul that it would please him to make this holy dew sink into their hearts. Above all things, this angelic task must be performed meekly and gently, by way of inspiration, not correction, for it is surprising how powerfully gentleness and a friendly way of proposing good things can attract the heart. Never, therefore, speak about God or devotion merely for the sake of good public form or as a topic of passing conversation, but instead always do so with attention and reverence. I give you this advice so that you may avoid that astounding vanity found in many who make profession of devotion, men and women who, on all occasions, speak holy and fervent words out of habit without ever thinking about what they say, imagining that their character equals their words, though it does not. Chapter 27. On Modesty in Words and the Respect We Owe to Others. If anyone makes no mistakes in what he says, he is a perfect man. Be careful, therefore, never to allow an improper word to slip between your lips. For even if you do not speak it with a wicked intention, nonetheless, those who hear it may well receive it as such. An evil word falling into a weak heart spreads and expands like a drop of oil falling on linen. No, even more, it sometimes grasps the heart so strongly that it fills it with a thousand unclean thoughts and temptations. For just as bodily poison enters through the mouth, so too the poison of the heart enters through the ear, and the tongue that communicates it is a murderer. Indeed, even if the poison which it has spit forth does not perhaps bring about its effects because the hearts of the hearers were protected by some kind of antidote, Nonetheless, they did not avoid death because it was lacking malice. Therefore, let no man tell me that he did not mean to cause such harm, for our Lord, the searcher of hearts, has said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if we have no evil thought, nonetheless, the devil does. 
and he always secretly makes use of such immodest words to pierce the heart of someone. Those who eat the herb angelica always have sweet and agreeable breath. So too, they who have honor and chastity, which is the angelic virtue, in their hearts speak words that are always pure, courteous, and modest. As for indecent and obscene things, the apostle says, we must not even have them named among us, assuring us that nothing so much corrupts good manners as evil company. Immodest words are infinitely more poisonous when they are uttered under a kind of disguise with affectation and subtlety. For just as the sharper a dart is, the more easily it pierces into our bodies, so too the more pointed an evil word is, the deeper it penetrates into our hearts. And those who judge that they are gallant because they speak such words are wholly ignorant of the reason why people come together in conversation. They should be like a swarm of bees gathered together to make the honey of some sweet and virtuous entertainment, and not like a nest of wasps gathered together to suck in corruption. If some fool should address you with unbecoming words, show him that your ears are offended, either by turning yourself immediately away, or by some other kind of sign of displeasure, as prudence directs. To be a scoffer is one of the worst conditions a mind can be in. God detests this vice greatly, and has inflicted remarkable punishments on account of it. Nothing is so contrary to charity or devotion as scorn and contempt for our neighbor. However, given that derision or mockery are never lacking in scorn, it therefore is a very great sin, so that theologians are right in saying that mockery is the worst kind of offense a man can be guilty of against his neighbor by words, for other offenses may be committed while retaining some esteem of the party offended, but this is committed with scorn and contempt. However, as for certain light-hearted words spoken by one person to another with a modest levity and cheerfulness, they belong to the virtue called eutrapalia by the Greeks, which may be called witty, good conversation. And by means of such words, we may draw permissible and friendly recreation from those minor occasions furnished for us by human imperfections. Only we must take care not to pass from this permissible mirth to scoffing, for scoffing provokes to laughter and scorn and contempt of our neighbor, whereas innocent mirth to wit excite laughter from the simple freedom and frankness founded on close friendship, joined to the sprightly wit with some ingenious quip at hand. When vowed religious offered to speak to St. Louis after dinner about lofty and sublime matters, he told them, this is not the time for grave reasoning, but for recreation through some witty mirth. Let every man innocently say what he has a mind to say. He said this out of consideration for the nobles who were present in order to receive marks of kindness from the king. However, Philothea, let us not pass our recreation time in such a way that we lose our way to blessed eternity through our devotion. Okay, so in these chapters, St. Francis leads us from, I guess, what I would say, a particular to a more general um, sort of thing. So we've talked about friendship a good deal and how that, how those relationships, those one-on-one, -on -one, perhaps more intimate relationships, have a role in our devout life, in our relationship with Christ. Now, St. Francis sort of takes us, I guess, what, to a more general view of our place and role in society at large and interacting with with more people and how that impacts our pursuit of the devout life and relationship with Christ, how those different components ought to work. And I guess in some way, it's good that we consider this because the fact that we live in and amongst other people is unavoidable. But 
the question remains then is like, how do we do that well? So before we um, before we talk about some of the particular sort of virtues or, or things to consider that St. Francis um, has for us, Father Gregory, do you have thoughts on how to begin even to navigate that reality of, of I guess in some ways, I, I think here of, of living our faith outside of our time of prayer and the church or like being in church and that sort of thing. So yeah, well, what are some of your thoughts on on this sort of topic? Yeah, it seems that what St. Francis of Sales has in mind here is like our manner of life. So he uses the word conversation. And when we hear conversation, we often think of just like having a chat with another human being. Whereas when he has, you know, conversation in mind, he's talking about more embracing notion, like you described it, living well in society. And I think here of, you know, we have different ways of capturing this reality like we talk about being polite or being courteous or having good social graces or being just gracious simply so called i you know come from the east coast i feel myself to be a bit of a brute in certain situations especially when i was assigned in kentucky and uh folks would just kind of look at me uncomprehendingly like this man talks so fast and so mean and so ironically i can't possibly be expected to understand so it's about you know making it such that you can engage with other human beings in a way that's helpful, in a way that's, you know, like upbuilding, I suppose. And um, so when he talks here about on good conversation, about modesty and stuff like that, he's just, you know, I mean, he's generally just talking about our comportment vis-a-vis the other. And that doesn't always have to be like turbo evangelical, but it can be something where we set up the situation or we um, arrange it so that the person will be more open to what it is that we have to share and that itself is already a step in the right direction. There's, I guess, a tendency, or in some circles, some Catholic circles, maybe other circles. I don't really know other circles that well. I know Catholic circles, I think, with some familiarity. This thought or um, what desire of sort of escaping from society, of moving away from from like the world in in which in which we live so as to like focus more on Christ and and that sort of thing and i think in ways as a dominican friar that sort of monastic tendency whether that people are monks or you know just living in more like intentional communities is not really something that that appeals immediately because as Dominicans were meant to live in cities and there's this real understanding of, you know, preaching and living or uh, witnessing to Christ in a sort of urban environment. But, and St. Francis sort of addresses this as sort of our approach to living in the world. Um, and he does so by proposing a balance, like all virtues, that uh, between shunning and seeking out. So on the one hand, he says we shouldn't uh, you know, and what we've heard, we shouldn't um, shun the world in which we are called to live, but to live in it well. And we shouldn't seek out the the pleasures of this world inordinately because they too are distractions. So I guess it's finding a balance of of living, you know, with Christ, but also in the world and also sort of, I think, prioritizing or the way we find that balance is having right priorities of, of time with our Lord, time with family and friends, and then, you know, other engagements and that sort of thing. So I don't know, on, on that, on the balance issue, what do you think are some good sort of tips of like, yeah, approaching our, the reality that we live in the world well? Yeah. So I think, uh, the way that he sets it up between being too desirous of human communication and then being not desirous enough of human communication is a good one. So I'm just thinking about my own experience, you know, like I like talking to people, you know, probably as much as the next person, 
Uh, but if you're too eager to talk, it can be off-putting for the other individual. So if you're like, oh, yeah, I was really meaning to discuss this particular theme with you. They're like, wow, back away slowly and delete number from phone. But then if you for fear that the other person might think you too eager, you know, hold yourself at a distance, you know, you you show yourself kind of neutral towards it or, or you comport yourself so that you're aloof, you know. Um, then that can send the wrong message too. It's like, well, I don't really actually want to have any conversation with you. And so you can just despair of it entirely. Whereas I think it's just good to be open to it. So I've mentioned this before, not on, not on this podcast, but on another one. But when I go to um, airports, for instance, I find them to be very delightful places in which to engage people in conversation, uh, usually with an iced coffee in tow. But I find that when I start them, because I'm like six foot four, I'm like dressed strangely. I also have a kind of gaunt, terrified look to me. Uh, so when I start conversations, people are like, yikes. Yeah, no, this isn't going to happen. But when other people start conversations, they're like, so like being a ninja, what's that like? It often goes much better. Um, so I'll just say a simple prayer like, Lord, that I might have good conversations today and that other people might start them. So I have, you know, a kind of baseline openness to the conversations as they might present themselves. Should I probably be a little more courageous from time to time? Undoubtedly. Uh, but I think that that's what we're looking for, a kind of openness to the other so that the other can present him or herself to you and so that you can receive the other in a way that's appropriate to time, place, and circumstance. I think that's kind of what he's describing and the interior habits of mind and heart, which make it possible. Yeah, my my approach, if I might also share a little bit about me, my approach to airports is, is wholly courageous because it takes a lot of courage to talk to nobody when I get to the airport and be totally unengaged, which is is how I desire to interact in airports. And now that I'm saying this, and of course, every time you say something, you know, people are going to act in the opposite manner. So I should say I love talking to people in airports. So that way that doesn't happen. But it's a good deal. It takes a good deal of courage to sit there with an iced coffee and and not talk to people too. So uh, I'm not sure that's what St. Francis is getting at and encouraging. But you know, I'm a work in progress too. And yeah, so a little a little bit about my my airport demeanor or attitude towards that. Um the other thing too as as we're reading or as we read in in these chapters and that kind of accompanies our interaction as Father Gregory was describing with other people is that it's not just a sort of willingness and openness in how we talk with people, but also how we present ourselves. And I remember having a conversation once um, with a group of, I guess they were college students or just post-college students. And someone in the group was pushing back very hard against the idea that uh, that it's important, like the importance of what we wear and how we present ourselves and like how we dress. And I, I'm of a mind and it seems that St. Francis is here too. So I must be right that it's actually quite important, you know, like our hygiene and how we dress and how we wear it. That doesn't, or how, what we wear. And that doesn't mean what we wear with, with respect to um, like brand names or the expense of that sort of thing. But I think how we present ourselves reflects one, like our human dignity that, that we aren't made to be slobs. You know, we're made to take care of our bodies and to take care of the way in which we dress and present ourselves and, and those sort of things. But also that's, it's a kind of way to be inviting to other people, right? So it's, again, a, it's a prudential matter. It's not that we have to be in a three-piece suit all the time, but, you know, wearing like sweatpants to mass is also probably, you know, the other extreme probably doesn't cut it either. Or like pajamas to class. It's like, I think we can at least put on a pair of jeans and like a polo to be a respectable young man. Who knows? I don't know. I might be wrong. I wear a habit. So I'm not maybe the most foremost expert on that, but it's all of a piece, right? 
as we've been talking about, that the Lord wants all of us. He wants all of us to be sort of oriented to him. And that's even these minor things about the way we present ourselves in public. We could also consider it in terms of, well, if we if people know we're Christian and we're Catholic and we're devout and we look slovenly or we look like over, you know, dressed in like the finest kind of couture kind of clothing. Well, what, how does that help us witness to the gospel? Does that help us witness to the gospel? I don't know. Um, But there there are things that St. Francis wants us to consider. So a bit of modesty, uh, I mean, that's all about modesty. I don't know if you have more to say on modesty and dress, Father Gregory, but I think it's important that we consider it. Yeah, my my basic thoughts here are just that um, we're in the habit of thinking about our moral lives over here and then our endearing quirks over here like yeah so whatever i shave once every 17 days or like yeah so whatever i haven't bought a new pair of socks since 1974 oh yeah so what you know we think about them as just endearing quirks but you know if we follow the great christian tradition on what constitutes the moral life it's just the whole of your life everything that you do intentionally willingly is part of your moral life, and that can be subject to the reign of grace and virtue. So I don't think that we should give ourselves free passes for being weird. You know, there might be some things that we can't really address, and we should be merciful of of ourselves and pray that we are received mercifully by others. But if it's something that falls within our control, you know, we do well to kind of rein it in a little bit or maybe, um, yeah, smooth it out a little bit. So that way, when it comes to these types of situations, we are more appealing to the other, not in a weird way, but more appealing to the other as a steward of the Most High God. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Good job. Uh, Thank you. You're welcome. So I think of, by way of a sort of final thought here, um, as sometimes when we talk about the moral life in these particular things of like how to dress with respect to modesty or how to interact in the airport or wherever we might find ourselves, it can begin to seem a bit nitpicky or kind of controlling or domineering or whatever. Um, but it's it's helpful to recognize what Father Gregory just said, that the moral life is comprised of everything that we do, of all of our choices, and it reflects on us and on God and on you know the, the church too. These are important realizations, and those contribute to our ability, to our freedom, to be able to pursue the devout life more and more. And in the end, these are these are recommendations. They're they're not policies. It's not as if if you don't dress in a particular way and if you don't talk to four people at the airport, then somehow you know you're not you're not making the cut. That's not what it is. But there, it's Saint Francis is offering us guidance so as to bring our devotion from just our time of prayer, or just our time at and in, in church at mass, to bring our time of prayer and mortification to bear on all of our life, all of our, each part of our life, I'll say it that way, to bring that to bear on who we are entirely, because in the end, Christ wants us entirely. So there you have it. That's what we have for you today. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, We're always interested in getting to know uh, the digital community, so please join us at our next Godsplaining event, whether it be a pilgrimage, a retreat, or something else. Details and applications can be found at godsplaining.org. Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Mm